for our for our listeners, whoever that may be, uh, welcome to episode one of Ignoring the Noise. I am Nick Hansen, and joined with me is my partner Matt Rustin. Uh, everybody, it's uh, it's great to be here. It I've is. been. I'll admit, I've been somewhat nervous coming into this. Really, tell me uh, about that. That's interesting. It's just uh, it, well, it's something. I've, it's a new experience for me. I don't know about you. I've never just talk to someone with the intent of talking to more people. So I should probably get rid of, I should probably drop that. I'm just talking to you right now. Um, but it's the premise that other people will hear our conversation and then yeah. could, uh, could stimulate some dialogue there um, as well. So it's, it is a different context of conversation, right? Cause you're going to put it out there and that's a little vulnerable. Well, definitely. It's uh, you drop you're dropping walls in some ways, which I think is great. I think it's a necessity to having fruitful conversations with others. And the other thing I'm thinking about now, so I'm notorious for interrupting people. And for the sake of our listeners and our audio, I'm going to have to focus intently on waiting until Matt is finished speaking. It'll be a wonderful practice and patience for me. Uh, so I'll just I'll keep that in mind. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a crazy world we live in in on Halloween day of 2021, 20, 22. No, it's 21. 21 it is. Yeah, it is 2021. And it's uh, yeah, it's, I think it's as good a day as any. Um, and to be optimistic and trying with the intent to put something good out there to stimulate conversations. Um, I, I agree with you that it's uh, a little nerve wracking in that it's. Um, you know, you, you can't offer a rebuttal or anything to what you've said. It's just kind of out there and a little static. Now you could have additional conversations afterwards, but yeah, you're throwing out there uh, kind of something semi-definitive that you, you um, might change your mind about or might uh, need some context or something like that. And I, th I think that's just um, fabulous because I think it's a good exercise in um, being more intentional about what you're speaking about and if if you should be speaking that's that's a good point um, that I need to learn is should I be saying this or having this discussion and not because the topic is taboo or anything but um, I, I think that in today's day and age of uh, social media um, it's just people feel entitled to kind of put out there any feeling or thought that they have instead of kind of distilling down um, what their values are, or what might be beneficial, informative, or helpful to society. I don't know. I agree. And I, I think we should say um, that the expressed views and opinions uh, in this podcast are solely our own. Um, they are subject to change, as Matt said. And I think that's an important point in that with the advent of social media, you know, 40 years ago, someone could say or do something that I think we would all agree was a mistake. And sure. they may or may not have meant it. And since there wasn't social media to immortalize that event for the masses to see for all of eternity, people could actually um, redeem themselves over time. And I, I think that is an unfortunate byproduct in some situations where, you know, you may express an opinion and then learn something a day later that in that moment or that tweet or that that item is not reflective of what you now believe or what you now re represent in many ways. Um, and I think that's a great time. I have the book that we were talking about by Annie Duke, um, thinking in bets in that, you know, I, th I think we, we can both agree 
that anytime when we say something, you know, to a to a certain degree, we believe we're right. And that's a lot of what the premise of the book is, is all of us going through life, we're attempting to make decisions based on what we believe to be fact, to a greater degree than what we believe to not be fact. And that's important, because again, there's a degree of not knowing certain information that if you knew that, or, you, you know, you may not be able to know that. And as such, you're essentially making a bet with every decision you make, similar to what you're saying about your Tesla. Yeah. You know, you were, you can maybe speak to that. Yeah, I, I would say it's to Annie Duke's book is, is something that I've never heard someone else say, but, but resonated with me tremendously was um, putting a percentage uh, to your confidence about a statement that you're making or a position that you're taking, because that's truly how I've thought in my head when I'm speaking to someone else or I've made a decision because uh, I've had some really high degrees of uh, confidence in making a decision. But I just, as I've said to you before, I don't really operate in absolutes of binary, true, false, 100% kind of context. So yeah, with with the Tesla that I had ordered, I, I really, really believe in uh, the kind of clean, renewable energy and um, adopting those different um, energy sources, whether it's for, you know, cooking or travel or whatever, um, lawn mowing, any of those. But the, the price and the value proposition is still a little high. So I did put my deposit down. I knew it wasn't transferable or uh, redeemable, but as I kind of waited for uh, my Model Y, it just kind of seemed too expensive um, relative to vehicles that I already have that function well and that while they admit a lot of the harmful gases I would like to avoid, um, the value proposition, again, just wasn't there yet to um, spend $60,000 on, on a vehicle. That's, that's quite a lot of money for, for me to pay for a vehicle. So um, I know that I'll get there someday. So it doesn't mean that, that I won't get one. It just means that right now um, it wasn't the right time to spend that kind of money. And so we'll have to see as they continue to scale up and other manufacturers produce vehicles and the government incentivize um, purchasing vehicle, uh, EV vehicles, uh, if that volume value uh, proposition kind of um, increases. Um, as a side note, I think one thing I had discussed with you was uh, traveling to Oklahoma where I'm from, uh, and that's normally about a 12 or 13 hour trip. And even with the charging stations, the rapid charging stations, and because I'm traveling down through Iowa and Kansas, uh, potentially Missouri, and then into Oklahoma, uh, and needing to hit those stations, it was going to add another four hours, which four hours doesn't sound like a lot. But when you consider that it's a third of what the time would be to normally take that trip, it just with with younger children that I have, um, that's, again, not, not, not a great value proposition. So the minivan wins out again. <laughs> hey that's okay i uh one i respect you and i think um i hope people are going to see that we're we're pretty firmly rooted in our values whatever yeah. they may be and right. you know the again those values are our personal own and i think you and i are both open to other perspectives other situations i want to make that abundantly clear because we live in such a world like you said of absolutes where it's either i am right and you are wrong there's no there's no middle ground and it's for me, I think the most important thing for people with very strongly differing views um, is to, where's the common ground? 
you know, and that's in order to get there. That's the only way you can have a half decent conversation from, um, but I firmly am, I say this and I can't, I know it can't be an absolute, but I hope to never purchase a minivan in my life. Oh, you're missing I, out. They, they are very comfortable. <laughs> they are, the, they, they really, the utility value is unbelievable. And now that Toyota makes a high an all wheel drive hybrid that gets 36 miles to the gallon, that's, that's, and it, it's much less than a Tesla would be. Well, so, and we don't have to stay on the car topic for too long, but why, why not a, why not a forerunner? If they had a hybrid forerunner instead so, so of a minivan. That, that's interesting that you said that. So um, when I got my minivan, I traded in my forerunner. Um, oh. So, so yeah, yeah. So I had a, I had like a 2008 forerunner. It was a dream vehicle for a long time. And especially that body style was one that I really liked. It was the black limited. It was everything I wanted it to be. Um, it was, I, I really, really loved that vehicle. So that was heartbreaking to transition to a minivan. Uh, and this is, this is what I'll tell you my experience was, and I'm a, uh, I love Toyota. Um, I think that they make a great vehicle um, for what it is um, and the price point. I, I, took, uh, I took myself and four buddies, um, you know, kind of my size, adult size, that everybody's over six foot tall, everybody's over 200 pounds. Uh, in my forerunner to go eat at Fogo de Chao in Minneapolis and then go play disc golf. And it was miserable because <laughs> it was just a can of sardines. Um, and in the minivan, um, I could easily take six people my size to the Badlands with all of our camping gear and there would be no issue. Everybody would be comfortable. Um, so so that, was, that was a big one um, right there. That was really it. Fair enough. How did you like Fogo de Chao? I've never been there. I've been to Carnival in sure. Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Um, and I think there's another one that I've heard of, I think. But uh, I'm personally well, huge fan. Like Brazilian style, all you can eat. Steak. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I think Fogo uh, is, is a pretty decent, decent place. Um, it's where I took my father-in-law to ask to uh, marry his daughter. So, you know, there's some reverence there. And I, I know it's kind of a uh, somewhat of a holy place for people who love to eat all you can eat steak and meat uh, that being said you know I probably don't go there as much anymore because my uh, ability to cook at a higher level is there so um, instead of all you can eat uh, different cuts of meat I'd rather have like a smaller piece of higher grade meat especially as I've, I've discussed many times I, I love wagyu beef and I'd rather only have three or four ounces of like a five Wagyu than all I can eat choice or even prime grade. Um, Picana is, is what the Brazilian steakhouses are most well known for. And, and that is my favorite cut of meat, but I'd rather have a great piece of Wagyu Picana than all I could eat. That's fair. And so. this is going to sound horrible given your culinary expertise, but <laughs> re recently I had some Wagyu smash burgers, which yeah. They, and I mean, you know, it's, it was from like Sam's club ground Wagyu. Sure. The, sure. the flavor of those, I, I've truly, there's nothing comparable from a beef perspective. And I, I am a big red meat guy. Sure. Um, I hope I aspire to acquire the same level of culinary expertise that you have. <laughs> and my experience on the Brazilian steakhouse side, when I was in college, um, once a year, we would go as a group. There were a bunch of us that basically met freshman year, uh, a number of us athletes, um, 
so I, I played baseball in college. I, I do uh, preface that with I cheerleaded more than I played. <laughs> much, much more cheerleading. But it was a great experience. Um, and most of the guys in this group were football players who were my size or above. Right. <laughs> and so when we went to the steakhouse, it was, you know, it was typically around finals time at the end of the year before summer. And in many ways became a competitive um, ex- <laughs> expedition. So one thing I learned or was taught is that in order to, if you get a little forward lean in the chair and sort of rotate your hips consistently, that'll, yeah. that'll help, help things move around such that uh, you can, <laughs> you can intake more food for longer. Okay. Um, so I, I don't know if that information is of any value to you. Or if I'm you going you know, to try it next time I attempt to eat a large uh, volume uh, of food. But I will say as, as someone who's, who's eaten large volumes, um, I did get some tips from some pro eaters at a contest one time. There really is some validity to different skills. I, I've never tried the lean forward hip. Uh, wiggle and I will try it just to, to test it out because you know we're empirical people um, but but I will say that uh, yeah there are some techniques that really do help versus just trying to cram it all in your mouth definitely um, no that's that's funny stuff um, so talk to me a little bit about and just you know I think this is a good spot to level set what sure. are some of the values that you're working from. I know there are some, th- some specific topics you want to cover today. Sure. Um, but curious, um, just I, a little, what, what makes Matt Rustin, Matt Rustin? Well, one thing I wanted to point out and, and kind of dovetail to, to the premise and the preface of this is to, um, to say that we are, it seems like two guys that are reasonably intelligent coming with their life experiences, but open to, having their minds expanded. I won't say changed because that would indicate that somehow you're kind of wrong about something, but kind of uh, evolved. Um, and, and that's from, but, but hearing good quality evidence and hearing someone's experience and, and all of those types of things. So I think that that's important that it's not um, like one of those shows where someone's a conservative and someone is a liberal and we're trying to beat the other one down with our ideals or our jargon or something like that. And it's more about just saying, hey, this is where I've come from and what I've experienced and, and what I feel my purpose is. So for, for me, that that purpose, and I think that purpose statement is, is important for all of us to figure out, is, is a lot about um, just servitude just like serving with your resources. Um, It doesn't have to even be from a faith perspective. Um, That entails kind of like a lot of kindness and empathy um, and a lot of openness to to potentially have your positions or your efforts evolve or change over time. Um, and, And so I say that because I've been wrong so many times or not right enough so many times that um, I, I, there just needed to be another thought structure to, to really just experience joy um, and happiness, like really the happiness and joy. Um, and none of that came from those transactional events of, you know, partying or buying things or um, the act of eating itself, you know, those were always fleeting, but, but the kind of joy from actually providing service and impacting other people, um, helping their lives become better, and then being open to let other people um, give you those same gifts, letting other people be generous to you with their own gifts. 
um, that's the kind of joy that's that's laughing or, or lasting. And um, yeah, I, I think that that's just kind of the purpose and where I'd like to spend my time. Um, clearly, that can't be sustained indefinitely, um, but uh, I think it's a, a more worthy endeavor than say, um, you know, having the best 401k or or the nicest house or um, or I don't know, be spending so much time on on a social media persona. That that that, I, guess that would be my position. What what about yourself? Tell me about your values. So one, I appreciate the way you describe that. Just because, again, we live in a time where, you know, whether you're conservative, liberal, whatever that may be, that identifier automatically we toss people in a bucket that it's like, oh, hey, I know who you are, I know where you came from, I know what you believe, and I think that's so far from the truth because we have you know, between the two of us, very diverse experiences with, yeah. uh, uh, you know, and within that, a surprising number of shared connections too. Um, you know, I, I played baseball with a guy that you know well from a racquetball perspective. That's so unusual to me because, right. uh, you know, racquetball in and of itself, that's, it's its own separate community. Um, and so for me, I, I completely agree in that my goal from this a specific endeavor and in life in general is how, how can we add value to other people or how can I add value? Cause at the end of the day, um, you know, I believe personally as a Christian that when we leave this earth, we will go somewhere else. But when that time ends, the only thing for those, um, who are still alive to remember you by will be how you made them feel. It really won't be things, you know, um, things return to dust eventually, whether it's a 401k, it's a house, it's a car, whatever that may be. Um, and the, the most important endeavor we can pursue is really adding value to others. Other things are nice, but as you said, um, there's statistics that show the, the, or the, the things in life aren't what make us happy. They aren't what improve things. It's the relationships with others. It's, you know, for me, I personally love being in nature. I love detaching from the technology of the world that um, has, I think, coddled us to a degree. And I, I like returning to ancestral roots. That's that's a big thing that since the beginning of COVID, I've really sort of dived into, um, whether that's from a food perspective, fitness perspective, mental health, because um, you and I, we work we work at screens eight hours a day, blue light, just getting fed. And the advent of that, that's only been 20, 40 years. Humans haven't evolved to understand the effects of blue light, to deal with blue light, so forth. I know I'm on a totally different tangent, but my, my main goal um, and, and focus for these conversations is hopefully someone else can recognize that, hey, these two guys, they don't see eye to eye on everything. Sure. but they're still friends. They're still able to have a positive relationship. And that I truly believe when we first had, we, Matt and I had a conversation a few weeks ago that really spurred the idea for this podcast. Mm -hmm. And that was, it was a fervent conversation at the end of work. <laughs> I came away mentally, I'll admit exhausted. I don't think I'd have <laughs> had a conversation to that intellectual degree. It was, it was like, I had gone into the gym trained with like Dwayne, the rock Johnson and, <laughs> my brain was just toast in, in a fantastic way. And that's, that's why I couldn't, I personally couldn't stop thinking about this podcast idea. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, and I, I think that that's, 
unique that um, that you and I could have that conversation, but it could be emulated with other people. Um, I appreciate that we can kind of go on these tangents and kind of explore things because that's really what we're doing is exploring. And it, um, I, I think it's unique, but again, achievable that you can put your, you can find someone to connect to that isn't your kind of normal geographic, hey, I play sports with you, you're from my town, and we can connect and kind of, but it still feels safe to say, hey, I've got this idea and let's, let's kind of talk through it or wander through it. And it still uh, seems cohesive because, again, the, the premise is all the same as kind of growth, understanding, sharing, and ultimately giving that out to, to other people to, to think about. And, and I agree with you that, that it was, uh, I left the conversation thinking a little drained, but like, wow, that was a really great experience. So uh, I had never thought about doing a podcast before, though I do like speaking and sharing my ideas. Um, but it just seemed like when you had like suggested that, like the most reasonable thing to do, almost like foregoing that would be like some kind of like crime. Uh, it was, it was just like a really great time. And um, so I, I definitely wanted to see more of that. So of course, a little bit of scheduling gets, gets in the way of that, but I mean, clearly as, as we go along, it, it's natural, it's organic and it just kind of flows well. Definitely. Well, and I appreciate you because I'm an ideas guy and sometimes an action guy in terms of actually getting that podcast episode. Maybe that's what some of my, you know, nervousness could be attributed to, but I appreciate that. You're like, Hey, let's do this. I am. I am a guy where if we're, if we're going to say we're going to do this, we are going to do this on this date and get it done. And it's yeah. awesome to be here doing that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, what's, what's something you want to dive into that so, we haven't touched on yet? Know, um, uh, I would just say, you know, we talked about bringing up kind of contemporary issues and issues that might be polarizing, but the idea again, wasn't to just be polarizing, not do gotcha kind of conversations or um, any kind of, there doesn't need to be the shock value. That's not what we're offering, uh, but definitely contemporary issues. So some of those are going to have some kind of um, intense emotional attachments, entanglements, if you will. Um, but that's also in part because they're important, right? So, so I would say that one, one thing you brought up the book Annie Duke um, had read uh, or written, and I think that we're both still trying to seek our, our answers and understandings of these issues as well. So as we've said a couple of times already, we're having these conversations to have our thoughts evolve. One that, that comes up to mind right now is the, um, the vaccine issue um, and, and the pandemic and, and what that means. And, and clearly we will, I'm sure, go through many tangents because there are so many arms to that, so many tentacles, if you will, and, and directions that you go. It's, it's, it's a dynamic issue. And I think that that is a good one to be able to get in to show that you can have a a difference of perspective, potentially a difference of opinion, um, but but that hopefully other people at a minimum, whether they agree or disagree with either one of us, that they understand that it is a complex issue that that impacts more than just a single person. So yeah, that, that's, no, that's a big one for me. I I uh, I think we can both agree we're both human, right? regardless of what our I to, to me that's one of the craziest things in the context of this conversation one of the saddest things is that there is this subset of individuals now that there are legitimately people saying 
hey, they, they should maybe have different rights. So personally, I'll say um, in terms of a mandate, I'm not, I'm not for a mandate. I'm, I'm against vaccine mandates. I think there's a number of issues at play. So personally, um, I describe the quote unquote COVID vaccine as an inoculation. It's, it's truly a therapy because it declines in efficacy over time, which is why we need these boosters. So there is a time where you're, the immunity gathered by being inoculated, so delivered via needle, could wear off. And that's, that's what they're seeing. So then you need to continue to get that treatment as opposed to say the smallpox or the flu. And each year the flu, you know, they're trying to hit the strain that they believe is going to be most prevalent. Um, so the intent of those is that that's one time you have immunity against that strain. Once you've received that vaccination, I, one of the one of the things I think would actually help the problem we're trying to solve, which is we want to get to a point where we're not spreading this disease to more individuals or individuals who are at high risk. Because even if, say, a healthcare worker is vaccinated, we've seen breakthrough cases. So obviously there are people who are immunocompromised that may not be able to get the vaccine due to medical reasons, whatever that may be. So say they come and receive healthcare you know, someone who's vaccinated as a healthcare worker has a breakthrough case, they could still give the virus to them. But if we had more broad, rapid testing, and I know this is a high cost endeavor, but to solve that problem, if, if that's someone's concern, and I, to me, I think that is the broader concern is how do we say this person has it, they are a threat, they should isolate. And the way to do that would be through wide range testing and constant testing until, until we're comfortable that we're at a point where we don't need that. Sure. Um, I did try to do a little background because I, I think one thing that we, we can agree on is that we want to have as much fact-based or objective evidence to support our positions um, as possible. So, um, you know, clearly like opinions are a bit more subjective, but uh, there, there are opinions that are wrong. And then there are opinions that are more right than others, if you will, because um, it's, it's, it can be a sliding scale, if you will. And I think that that's important to acknowledge. Um, so, so the vaccine is what I try to look up as far as like the Minnesota legislation and, and what has to be vaccine or vaccinated um, at what point, and especially for like, I was thinking school kids, because that's the most recognized um, mandate, if you will, for vaccines. Um, and, and because it is different state by state, there's no way I, I would be able to really delve in by myself um, with everything else going on to find out what all 50 states say. But in Minnesota, um, I, there's a couple of rules um, about what you have to have. And a lot of it's like hepatitis, chicken pox. Um, there's four or five of them that you, you can't go to public schools. And in many degrees, you can't go to private schools without having these vaccines. And, and that's just, that's a fact. So um, I kind of am cognizant or want others to be cognizant about the concept of having vaccine, having a mandate for certain um, issues, illnesses, things like that. I mean, there's a reason that we don't have polio and, and things like that's a classic example as well. Um, the, I think the flu is interesting as well because there are so many different variants that 
there's no way they could truly vaccinate every strain every year, um, but it's still considered a vaccine. So you still have to have it every single year, right? So, so similar to a booster, it's, it's just attacking a different strain. And so that, that's important as well. Um, I, I think the cost, um, I wanna differentiate quickly and, and I, um, I don't know to what degree you process things, but I definitely process 70%, 65% of what comes through my mind and out of my mouth in kind of a more literal economic perspective. So the difference between cost and price are, are two different things. So, um, you know, I, I would want to understand the ascribed price of what these um, tests would cost. And then the cost is, um, you know, what is, and I think, you know, opportunity costs, who's going to pay, well, I guess that would be price still, but who's going to pay the price, but the opportunity cost of not taking something else or, or, by, because not everybody has insurance, right? And, and not everybody's insurance is gonna pay for these tests. Um, I think because um, it's healthcare related, um, or, or at least that's, that's a probably pretty prevalent overtone in what you and I experience vocationally, um, that that also means maybe not everybody has the same expectation. If you're a frontline an ER nurse or an ER um, clinician of some sort, um, oncology, any of those, I, I think a mandate holds a different weight than say, if you are um, uh, like a garbage collector. And I was just trying to think of an environment where you're not interacting with people. I wasn't trying to set it up in any kind of yeah. socioeconomic perspective whatsoever. So um, it, it, th there might be something different for that, but another aspect and where it gets into these kind of different tentacles or avenues of um, impact into someone's liberty is um, what are people doing with their own personal time, not vocationally. And so, so that, that can't be necessarily controlled or monitored. So um, those persons, when this first started, um, you know, March, April, May of 2019, um, that were still going to huge weddings or huge outdoor events that were still being hit. I mean, may, maybe it'll be a little bit closer where you're at Sturges. I mean, that's just, that, that's absolutely mind blowing that, that people would think that gathering with two or 300,000 people and, and not knowing and not having an indication would be safe or reasonable. Well, and I think, I think one of the big things about this virus too is there's been evidence to show, and I'm not I'm not pulling this from any source, but given the the CDC, the WHO, the guidelines that you know we need to stay six feet apart, the transmission of this is often in enclosed spaces where we're most comfortable, whether we realize it or not, because that's where we let our guard down the most. So that's when people are at home. That's when they're with family, as opposed to, um, you know, it, it is a little crazy, Sturgis and South Dakota. Um, that is an aspect of this state that I do love. And I do want to say for, for anyone who is vaccinated, that mass, I respect that decision entirely. I think part of where I come from is that I think, you know, throughout this, there are, there are outside cases, but predominantly this has affected people with some level of underlying comorbidities. The more comorbidities you have, the worse your likely outcomes are. Um, age does play a role, especially once you get up over 65 and as such, 
my feeling has been more that, and this, this comes back to social responsibility. So long as, you know, you aren't displaying symptoms and you're not like going and breathing on someone to try and spread the virus. I think many of the decisions that you should be allowed to make really should fall into what, what level of risk are you willing to assume on a personal level? And I know, I know what you're going to tell me in response is that obviously we, you know, there is a social responsibility. We are not alone on this earth. Um, We do have a responsibility to others to some degree. And obviously you and I, uh, believe that from a foundational values perspective. That's what that's what God teaches. Um, and if you don't believe in God, that's totally fine. I got to cover all my bases as I go For through sure. all these things. Sure. Um, but th- that's sort of where I've come from is I think, you know, if, if you believe that a mask is, is going to help protect you, by all means, wear a mask. If you think the vaccine is going to help, by all means. And one of the other things that's um, come through. So now now that you're vaccinated, do you have confidence that if you were to get COVID test positive, that your odds, because what I've seen from a news perspective, and this is very anecdotal, is that if you're vaccinated, you're not going to die. You're going to avoid severe hospitalization for the most part. Um, so, so a couple of things to, to think about that I'll, I'll try to touch on as you, you kind of discussing. Um, I, I think that that people process or and, and I don't like two groups of people, but someone kind of presented something to think about, about how uh, generally how people would make most of their decisions is kind of a more empirical fact-based evidential type of experience. And then you have, uh, or, or process. And then another group would um, process them more from their feelings, what they feel about it. So I, I think that's important to at least consider there are other options um, uh, as well, and it, it is a spectrum. So it's we all, to a degree, u- utilize some kind of factor evidence along with our emotions and feelings. So, so I, I think that that's something to preface and is important. Um, I think that um, you, the liberty thing and what makes this this disease so so insidious is that so many people can be asymptomatic and not know and not truly understand the pathology of how this is truly transmitted or when. Um, and it is it requires an expert level of knowledge to understand. Um, uh, how diseases function and how they're transmitted and things like that. And I don't think everything can be distilled down to a meme or even a couple of paragraphs. And to a certain degree, when we talk, you talked about faith, um, but you, you have to have faith in people who are the experts. And, and so that's a book that I had recommended. Um, it's called The Death of Expertise. And that is a phenomenal book. But that's, I think, for society to get back to society um, in general, globally, um, that, that people who are experts in their fields should, should um, be held in that regard a little bit more than, than a lot of maybe the keyboard warriors that are, that are posting things that are maybe more feeling-based or more confirmation bias-based. And, and I'm not gonna say I'm completely excluded from that. So I don't wanna um, promote that as well. So um, I think listening to what say the CDC or um, some of the, our 
more world-renowned and well-known um, medical institutions that are stating these are the guidelines that I think we should go with. It's really hard to argue that with just the um, kind of concept of personal liberty or something like that, because most people don't know. They don't know when they're they're transmitting something like this, or that they might not have it. You know, but they're a you know asymptomatic. Um, as far as how I feel about being vaccinated and my ability to, to transmit, you know, I, I still wear a mask most of the time when I'm indoors um, in kind of a, a commercial environment or something like that. If I go to Home Depot or whatever, go to the grocery store, uh, my kids as well. Um, I'm not going to say 100%. So if someone finds a picture time dated where, you know, time stamped where, with me, um, you know, they're, they're, I would say a good 85, 90% of the time. Um, so I think if people got, you know, 85, 90% of the people wore a mask 85 or 90% of the time or were vaccinated 85 to 90%, you know, something like that, we wouldn't be having this discussion almost two years later. Um, and I think to your point, you had brought up core, um, um, what did you say it was core what? In regards to what, what kind? Um, Sorry, like, um, I said people, a lot. People passing away from getting the um, oh comorbidities. Yeah, yeah. You're disproportionately so, affected depending on some of the health things. And so I, this is what I would I would think. Um, clearly, I I think that uh, I've been vaccinated and that I could still pass away. Um, the most probably a prevalent person that I can think of is, is Colin Powell just recently passed in, in a lot of the news headlines was he was vaccinated and he died of COVID. But, you know, they, if you just dig, just scratch just a little deeper, you know, he had some, some intense cancer. He was, as well. he so, was, so, so, I mean, combined with being 84 to your yeah, credit, Paul. I think with, and we could, you know, I, I do have some familiarity with your, the way you take care of yourself from a health perspective, mental, physical, I think, I'm sorry to totally steamroll you here, but no, that's fine. <laughs> well, throughout that's, that's one of the things that I've really focused on during COVID because we went nearly a year, if not a year, really not having any clarity from a treatment perspective per se to say, Hey, this works. I think the awesome thing about today and still, it's crazy to me. If you if you get diagnosed with COVID, you're essentially sent home and told to sort of check things out for a week, two weeks. Unfortunately, there isn't like, you know, I given some of the data that's coming out regarding monoclonal antibodies. I know they're using that in a specific subset of the population that's at higher risk. Um, I believe at Mayo Clinic, they've seen that it's reduced hospitalizations and that. Uh, population that receives them from 10%, 10.7 to like 2.7 or something. And sure. obviously I'm not pulling exact numbers, but that that's awesome. That's an awesome outcome, I think. And given um, our approach throughout this pandemic, I'm, I'm wondering why we're not being more judicious and who we share that type of proactive treatment with, because, you know, as, as seen and as described is that COVID is this unknowing beast in a sense where it disproportionately affects some random person that may otherwise appear healthy with this cytokine storm in that would they benefit from having a round of steroids um, some level of supplementation because where we live um, you know we're likely vitamin d deficient naturally just because of where we lie on earth um, and that that's been a big focus of mine personally i don't know what you take from a supplement regimen but i i take a <laughs> 
significant amount of things, um, vitamin D, vitamin C, so forth, to try and bolster that immune system naturally getting back to that ancestral roots, obviously sure. not just through diet. It's a little artificial in that means. Um, but back no, to you. Yeah, I, I think that there's some things that could be said for, you know, uh, again, taking responsibility for your personal health, diet, um, all of those things, but, but that's not an option for, for everyone. And, and that's where we get into kind of the social economic impacts of people. Um, I think you and I would, um, at least say that we're kind of middle class um, income wise, socioeconomically. So we, we don't, there's not as great a likelihood that we have to say, hey, we can't buy supplements or we can't go buy fresh fruit or something like that. Now, of course, there's always the opportunity cost of what we have to give up if our grocery bill increases 20% or 30%. You know, we might not be able to save uh, as much as we want to or, you know, go on a trip or something like that. But it's not the difference between um, your electric will be cut off or fruits and vegetables. So um, that, that, that's a realistic um, variable factor within within this kind of equation um, I, I still think that um, because it's new as you described we still have to lead with what science and those experts are kind of putting out as um, the 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 most beneficial um, intervention right now and so right now we know that's the the masking um, uh, and the kind of social distancing as well as um, as well as the vaccine itself. And I think when you do a cost benefit analysis, it doesn't cost people as much as I think that they are prescribing. And it, and I definitely don't think that it is costing them as much as say you know someone like let's just say say yourself who is reasonably healthy and reasonably precautious. Um, but somehow you, you get it because you can clearly still get COVID after you've been vaccinated, but then let's say you feel safer and you let your guard down just a little bit more, and then you pass it to someone who doesn't feel the same way you do. And so now they're at a wedding, they're at an event, and then, you know, and it kind of, that that's the big um, issue with how it spreads and how it impacts people. Um, and, and then it gets to someone like a Colin Powell or, or someone who has, you know, at this at risk um, kind of group, but it's still, it's a lot of people, you know, this is, I think when we look back, we're going to realize that this is, I mean, millions of people have died from this. And I would argue that if, um, people, let's say 80 or 90% of people got vaccinated as it was available, right? Because we know that there are some infrastructures and distribution limitations in other countries, uh, as well as the United States that would have prevented it kind of happening all at the same time, right? But if that would have happened, potentially that's, that's a couple million people that, that would be around. And, and that's significant. Well, and I, I think, so if the goal is, so I, I, I think what you're saying is if we can get to 80% herd immunity, and as from what I've seen, how do you define herd immunity? I let the experts define that. So if they okay. say it's 80%, then that's, that's what I would generally go with until I was provided with better, more definitive evidence. Well, and so when I ask that, I ask from a, is that meaning combination of natural immunity and vaccinated immunity? I, I think probably I would still go off of vaccinated 
immunity instead of natural because that is still how are we testing the natural immunity how are we incorporating that in and and i'm just giving you my initial thoughts um, if there was a way to demonstrate and incorporate the natural immunity into the vaccinated population as well and that was meaningful um, then yeah I, I would accept that as well i would just need an expert someone who yeah. in statistics or something to tell me that that is viable yeah, I'll, I'll agree. I, I don't know that we have a great way outside of, I know people who are donating blood, they can sort of gather a percentage of the people that are to say, hey, they have antibodies. Um, so I know we're limited in our ability to say, put that on a screen on Google and say, hey, we're at 80%, which is herd immunity. Because I have seen that the definition of herd immunity has now changed in the expert sense in that they are now saying it's got to be 80% vaccinated individuals, which mm -hmm. to your point, makes sense if you're talking purely from being able to report definitively that okay we know 80 percent of people but um as as you mentioned if we had been able to deliver to 80 percent of people that wanted it the vaccine say tomorrow then and and have them fully vaccinated that puts us in a much different boat than supply chain constraints you know we had people who were probably fully vaccinated january february and right. then six months later, that's declined. So now they need a third booster, which is taking right. away vaccinations from other people. We're hitting this moving target where the number of truly immune vaccinated people is technically declining with each day unless they get a booster. And as a result, we may never truly hit that 80%. And I think you mentioned the parallels to the flu are fantastic, in my opinion, because it just it offers, you know, it's another virus we have vaccines that we've used for a long, long time. And typically, I, you know, I saw this statistic, I can go back and find it for reference, but I think it's like 50% of people actually get the flu vaccine every year Okay. as in comparison. And it's unfortunate to me, I realize obviously, you know, people have died from COVID, but it's, it's been politicized in such a way that you know, now we're looking at who, who gave this person or who gave me this as opposed to, you know, um, the flu, you know, you just, you sort of got that. That was something that might've been expected to some degree that you, you would get sick during the winter. And I realized, you know, COVID again, the way it can interact in someone's body is much different. Although I, I do know some, some people, um, in my life and through extended, uh, relationships that have died from the flu too sure, um, sure. so i i don't i guess i don't really know where i was going <laughs> if i made well, my one, point one thing i would say one thing i would say is that i think the biggest driver of fear within this this instance um uh, this pandemic is kind of unknown and so so people are um you know, regressing back to kind of a more primitive mindset that that um, they know what's best for themselves in this regard, not just in this regard, but then in all regards and extrapolate that out. And, and that's just not true. Um, you and I are both reasonable people, um, but, but we couldn't go be doctors right now. Um, it is likely that we couldn't build a, a building requiring an engineering degree or something like that. You know, we might go pound a nail or put on a bandaid, but, but there's a reason that people are experts and the, the, again, we should, we should defer to that, but, but not knowing is scary. 
right? Because we, we're kind of at this point where you can Google just about anything, um, but the unintended con consequences is we fall down that, that hole of, um, of confirmation bias. This is what I feel or believe, and I need to find something that supports it. And unfortunately, there are some really convincing people out there that will, that will put out misleading, false, erroneous, uh, information, whether it's intentional or not, it's still being put out and people are really, really buying into that. Um, I would say to it's, it's, as far as the declining um, effectiveness of the vaccine or something like that, I still think you take 80%, let's say 80% are actually vaccinated. Um, you still have less people that would die or more significantly, live the rest of their life with a significant health impairment if that many people had been vaccinated and the uh, effectiveness declined than if you have 70% and you have another 10% of the population that just don't have anything and they're just running. And because I, without seeing statistical information, but I would argue that those people who are unvaccinated are likely also participating or displaying their liberty in ways that aren't safe relative to the guidelines uh, for this, this pandemic. So, so it's not just 10%, it's 10% who are probably going to Sturgis type of thought, you know, or idea. Well, and, and I'll own that. So I, I think my vaccination status currently is probably clear and I'll, I'll admit, so I want to be clear in that I'm not anti-vaccine. I'm actually, for people who my hope is that for people who get vaccinated against COVID, that it gives them a level of comfort that they didn't have before because right. we did, you know, we spent a year, year and a half for some people truly living without any sort of protection besides, Hey, mask, keep some distance, hope for the best, stay in your house. And that's truly my hope. I know there are some people, who, even though they get the vaccine, it's, you know, due to your age, due to your comorbidities, you may not have that opportunity. And there are people who are immunocompromised that do, simply don't have that opportunity. I am aware, I believe it's Novavax has a vaccine that isn't an mRNA delivery mechanism. I think they're in like stage three clinical trial. I'll admit personally, I am interested in that one. I think they're probably two years from actually being approved. But personally, that's, that's really where I'm leaning towards in terms of um, what I would prefer from a, from a personal treatment perspective. And so I, I was looking this up too. Um, I think it was Dr. William Maurice at the Mayo Clinic. He's on the COVID task force, uh, was on KFAN and he had, he indicated that there is, so my population right now, I'm almost 25, crazy to say <laughs> quarter of a century for, for, I think males above 16, 18 years old, there is an, and it's like 16, 18 to like maybe 30. And I, I'm probably giving a wider range than is actually accurate, but there's an increased incidence of myocarditis following, following vaccination. And for those of you who don't know, that's heart inflammation. And despite the fact that yes, with treatment in a week or two, that tends to subside the long-term outcomes, one, two, five, 10 year for any individual who suffers from myocarditis, which is essentially kind of a form of a heart attack is not that great. And I'll admit that that is a personal concern. Um, I do think I might have actually had COVID in May. Um, it's going to sound irresponsible. My, 
my dad wishes I would have gotten tested just so I would know if I had the antibodies. But um, I had about a week where I was just, I was sore. I wasn't really hungry and I, I just wanted to sleep sure. sort of. And then, then it went away. And I mean, that was in late May. So sure. likely not the flu given the, the environment and the seasonality. Um, but again, I just went on a, I, I just go on tangents and then I let you respond so, to what you parse out. That, that's how it works though. That's how, that's how our conversations are. This is, this is very much how our first conversation really went. So, I mean, that's, yeah. I think that's the idea. Um, I, I, the reason that the, this is, I think, such a great first conversation to have and record is because um, replace pandemic with, with a lot of other topics and, and a lot of the arguments um, and the disagreements kind of hold true. It's, it's about knowledge versus not knowledge. It's about um, personal responsibility versus um, social responsibility. And, and it's, it's something that anybody can take these kind of ideas and concepts, um, thought constructs, and and really apply them in other areas to hopefully come to a more well-informed idea. And I, I don't, I like how you and I approach this in that while we want to be informative or offer our perspectives, it's not so persuasive that it is so overtly the objective to change your mind, right? And, and so I think that that is a great way to offer your perspective or information, but without, without turning a lot of people off with the implication that you're wrong starting out. And that tone is really, really important for empathy and reception of, of other ideas and concepts. Um, something else I wanted to kind of point out and, and have people think about is that you and I kind of read um, a fair amount and we do look into other source data to um, understand a situation, not just support our position. And I think that that's important. So anything that we're kind of mentioning is really just kind of a touch off point or what we did to kind of formulate an opinion, but that we would encourage absolutely everybody to go out and really look for what the evidence shows, what the experts are saying or, or um, respected persons within their life are feeling or saying, you know, that that's super important um, because that's how you can have your kind of position evolve. Cause really the yeah. answer to almost every question is it depends. <laughs> well, and, and, and refined too. You're, you're going to find out quickly. So in my conversation with you, since we last spoke, I've had, I've had two, I would say, again, intellectually rigorous conversations that personally have helped refine my opinion for better or worse, depending on how you feel. But um, one of them was uh, I was catching up with parents of, uh, of one of my best friends from back home. Um, he actually passed away from the flu. Uh, He's a great guy, but I was talking to his mom, who's a pharmacist and has some connections with uh, some ICU workers and definitely fell on the other end in terms of where I'm at, similar to this conversation. And I mean, strong data seeing frontline ICU. Um, and we, we, we had a fantastic conversation. A lot of the same concepts we're covering now. And then probably a week ago now, I was talking to... Uh, a mentor of mine that I got to know during high school. And, uh, he was, he, he was really more so pushing for me to get it. Um, and again, we had, it was, it was a very similar conversation to this, but, um, what I, what I personally have confidence in is 
my approach to this, I think, is is serving me well in terms of at least it's not like, hey, I supported Trump and Trump for a while said no vaccine, so I'm not going to get it or something like that. I think yeah. that's that's the unfortunate situation we fall into in society, especially with social media, is sure. this group think. And I, I am a firm supporter and believer in independent thought and our ability to have a conversation here and say, hey, here's some data. This is what I think, because I think there is power, even in us not being personal experts, say, in immunology. Right. I, I think that's okay for us to say, hey, we can look at some data out there that, you know, we may not understand everything, but we can we can draw a conclusion to say, hey, I think I'm 65% right about this. Sure. Or this has been my experience. I think there's a lot of value in that. And I was going to throw this out, the awesome thing of late about COVID is that cases I think have rolled over, dropped almost 50% in the last two weeks, at least in the U S. Um, and I, I'm pulling that stat from a yeah, from an investment would, group that I follow, but yeah, I would be very, um, I would be concerned about that kind of statistic because and with statistics, there's uh, the context is always so, so, so important. So, um, I, I would hate to even dispute what you're saying, but, um, anytime someone throws up kind of, uh, not anytime, but most of the time when I care enough to really delve into an argument, I really want to understand the context of, of what their position is so that I, if I'm going to have a rebuttal or, you know, accept it or whatever, that, that I know that we're comparing apples to apples. Um, a couple of thoughts I had about um, kind of a disadvantage when we are so emotionally um, invested in a position is that sometimes facts or even some of those that we deify um, can't change our mind. And, and I do think about, it was, it was really heartbreaking to me, but watching Trump tell people that they should get the vaccine, that he got the vaccine and he was literally booed at his own rally. So to me, I would hate for, um, people just in general, not even about this subject, but in general, to put themselves in the position that they they can't have their mind changed. Um, I just think that, that there should always be that, I don't know, that area that allows you to say, okay, here's other information from people, again, I respect or experts, and I need to incorporate that, refine my position like you were kind of talking about. It doesn't mean I have to just change it completely, but the context, the new information can change what we're thinking about. Um, it, it also reminds me of um, a different book. My dad recently got everyone in our family um, about living with uh, climate change, not how to avoid it, but living with it. And one perspective of that, uh, and it was arguing uh, against uh, and in saying that there are only two positions or distilling it down that far, that, that um, when you're having a disagreement or a discussion with someone, that the social contract is completely understood. Um, actually, it wasn't that book. It was the Annie Duke book. Um, she was talking about the social contracts of truth-telling, right? When she's talking about the players that are, um, uh, that, that make a bad- Being accountable, bad. yeah. Well, well it, with the idea is, well, what if you and I are, are, are going to have a conversation 
but you didn't sign up for me to psychoanalyze you and tell you all the truths from my perspective, right? And in yeah. my correlation to the book that I just mentioned about climate change, that one was more um, the one that had brought forth the idea about um, persons that more predominantly um, deal with empirical evidence or that style, and then people that deal with them feeling and, and uh, from a feelings perspective. And, and the author doesn't say that that's necessarily wrong. It just says kind of know your audience and how they're um, going to ingest that or receive that. So in, in concert with the book that you've already in, we've mentioned a couple of times from Annie Duke was, yeah, you, you need to know if the person you're having a conversation with is, is that what they mutually agree to as far as that conversation? And if not, then, then, then maybe refrain from, um, from, from telling someone they're wrong or the truth, if you will. And I think that those kind of skills are clearly lacking um, in adults today because they don't seem to use them in the forums that are prevalent right now, social media, online, right? Well, and how many times do people actually embark on a journey like this where you and I are face to face, we get to see each other. It's not, Hey, I'm hiding behind, uh, one sooner 26 (laughs) on Twitter. And, you know, I have no followers and I'm just going to type whatever opinion I want and just throw, you know, truly negativity out into the world because it, it doesn't do any good. You put, you put some words on a screen that likely just angered someone on the other side and then you got angry and emotional and you kept responding for a while. And then you lost an hour of your life gaining absolutely nothing. Um, and no, I, this, this is a totally different journey. I think you and I obviously understand our social contract, um, in that sense. And it made me think, this is total random sidebar, but when I was, I don't know if your kids, what age they are in the sports realm, if they're, if they're yet. Yeah. They're just, so they're, they're probably a little early for constructive criticism constantly. Yeah. 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 Okay. Or, or much at all, but yeah. Cause when I, I remember as a young athlete, cause I, you know, I had dreams go play pro like, like all of us do and uh, or most of us. And I, I would always seek out what did I do wrong? That was the social construct between my dad and I. It, it wasn't that he didn't tell me when I did well, but I would always, what what can I improve on? And it, that conversation, you know, that lended itself well. There was a different uh, social construct with my brother, a contract with him. He preferred to, he, you know, he had fun with it. And that, that was great. But uh, that context is hugely important. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think people need to understand that. And, and not to assume um, but to to potentially and, and often ask, like, you know, what, especially when they're starting, what what is the context of this? Ask themselves explicitly and potentially ask the other people in that conversation, what, what are the, the, the social contracts uh, of this conversation? And, and that becomes more intuitive, I think, with time and, and this kind of having a conversation um, about today's topics um, and with today's resources and in today's forum are, are newly developed skills and, and emerging, right? So it's um, it's like being literate and being able to write or read or something like that. You have to practice and develop those skills. And, um, you know, if, if, if your main um, participation in communication or dialogue is posting memes and then, you know, ad hominem rebuttals, then, then that's going to kind of be the limit of your evolution or growth within that, that subject matter. And, and really a lot of these 
subjects that I'm sure we'll talk about are are really dynamic and, and, and contextual. I mean, you know, where people live, how much money they make, what their other um, cultural backgrounds um, perspective is. Those those all matter. There's there's uh, I've said this too many times. There's there's almost never a silver bullet answer to any of this. And I think that that is hard for a lot of people to understand. Is that there's not going to the vaccine in and of itself is not the answer in this situation. Um, there, there are a multitude and, and the, the answer or the end goal is, is potentially moving is means something different for different people. Um, and, and I think that's something that just needs to be considered. Well, and that's important for the conversation too. I, it's hard to know what the end of COVID is much like that book you referenced at, at some point, like with the flu, I think we have to get to a point where it's living with COVID not living without because I don't know you know we could fight all we want to get to zero cases and never have a variant pop up somewhere and then somewhere two will pop up and how do we react to that and I think there's this odd dissonance in the world where we have this this one world of vaccine mandates everyone needs to get vaccinated and then if you're watching the OU game I know you're from Oklahoma if you're watching college football on Saturday or Sunday or pro football on Sunday there, there are, there's a very different, um, dynamic in the world, if you will, you know, football is in full force. Yeah. And we have some countries that are, you know, they're flipping back and forth between lockdown. It's very interesting to see. Um, yeah. I, no, no, just, and I agree with that. Odd. I mean, it, it, there, there are, uh, because, you know, in, if, if I understood where you were going with that, um, people are participating in society, with some of their own liberty in mind. I know um, we took the kids to a uh, to the Vikings and Detroit game, um, but we were we were masked up and my wife and I are vaccinated. So um, we were taking the precautions. I mean, we couldn't socially distance in our chairs as much, um, but but there were masks on and, and we tried to socially distance otherwise. So we felt like that was safe also because we knew that when we got home and a lot of our other interactions that we would be um, socially distancing or wearing masks when we were in place. So it was thinking about how we would be interacting with other people in other contexts as well, not just in this one kind of narrowly defined event, right? Um, so p- people yeah. are coming back, but I think to your point, um, and, and that is absolutely valid, is to talk about, well, how it's going to be a paradigm shift, right? Because more so than the flu, um, and then I would just kind of to, to step back for a second, I, I feel like we're, um, we're kind of like the United States in the, the, the life uh, span of, of a society. We're kind of still in our like teens or 20s where we're, we're feeling invincible still, right? We don't realize that we could be Rome and, and could be, you know, toppled and, or, you know, Chitsunita or, or one of these other really old societies that were really advanced and then died off. So, so my, my, my point in saying that is we still feel like we're invincible um, and that we have a hard time understanding that, that we're going to have to change some things because it could kill us or that changing won't kill us. Um, I think more so than any other, what, I can't think of another event that has changed 
the world globally in my 43 years like this. And I, I talk about businesses like um, malls, restaurants, shipping, all of that has really changed. And, and, it, and it might not, I, I would posit that it's not going to be the same going forward. And in, in some of those things, it probably expedited something that was already going to happen, like the demise of malls and people shopping online more, potentially groceries, um, restaurants would have smaller seating areas, things like that, more to-go stuff, uh, you know, new business models like DoorDash, being prevalent. So, so, so I think we have not seen something like that in the last 56 years. And so this is different because it was caused by a virus instead of say like the industrial revolution that was caused by mechanization. The, the only other thing I could think of, well, 9-11 came to mind and that's really probably more from a travel and just societal perspective that, oh my gosh, something yeah, yeah. like that could happen. Yep. The advent of the internet in terms of flattening the world is probably similar um, and I mean, to the benefit of you and I, we can work remote, we can work literally anywhere we have an internet connection. And I, I truly, I think there are benefits of COVID in terms of, you know, if, if I go to a grocery store now, or any store for that matter, people keep a greater distance apart from each other. There's no one like, hey, I'm looking at tortillas and someone's right over my shoulder trying to come up and grab tortillas for the most part in that and i remember i don't i have a i have a home gym now and instead of a gym membership but during covid people would actually wipe down the bars when i went to a gym prior to covid never thought <laughs> there you know there were no spray bottles i didn't wipe anything down and i i firmly believe that to some degree exposing yourself to germs is a healthy thing and i, I grew up in a family that used um uh, hand sanitizer. I don't, I don't use that anymore because it, it does kill good bacteria as well as bad. Sure. And, you know, exposing your immune system to some degree. I mean, obviously there are some germs that can kill you, but if you don't expose yourself to anything and then all of a sudden you get exposed to germs, you are not well prepared from an immune perspective to fight or handle that. And that, that's sort of, there's a book, I, another book I read recently called, uh, a hunter gatherer's guide to the 21st century written by Brett Weinstein and his wife. If you're familiar with Brett, um, he runs the dark horse podcast. So he's, um, an evolutionary biologist who is at a college out in Eastern Washington. And during his graduate studies, I'm not going to tell this story great, but he, uh, he essentially identified that the, the lab mice that were being used, for cancer research somewhere sort of at like a country government level had been inbred such that they had longer telomeres. So okay. they weren't really a, div a diverse population of um, mice in order to accurately represent like for testing. It was a very unique situation because if you have longer telomeres, you're destined to live longer um, just from a cellular basis and perspective. They can replicate longer before um, those run out. And so he sort of raised the, the, the flag on that issue. I don't really know what actually came of it. I think he was, I, I don't know how that story ended, but he's, he's someone I really respect his opinion from a science perspective. He also started what's known as the, the unity movement or attempted to during the, the last election sort of cycle and sort of what we're trying to accomplish in that, um, you know, we have these two polar opposites, either you're conservative or you're liberal, and there's no in between. I think most people fall in the in between where, you know, whether you're 
financially conservative, socially liberal, or, you know, you're, you're some form of grayer than really red or really blue or something, you know, we're all human with varying opinions. And again, a little off topic, but the book is great. I, I do have a copy of it here, but, uh, it, it talks really about the evolution of, of man from the beginning, from when we, you know, there were single celled organisms on earth and how, um, the 21st century technology is evolving at such a pace that we don't even know the impacts of involving it in our lives really have. We don't, we, you know, um, an example of that, the Pfizer and Johnson and Johnson, I think had to pull sunscreen because it contained benzene, which was a carcinogen caused cancer. I'll admit it's stories like that, that give me pause and refrain to say, okay, I think we're a society that's heavily reliant on pharmaceuticals to solve our problems. And in the end, those become therapies or treatments that for, for many conditions that otherwise there's, there's nothing that can help. Um, that's important, but when you, so another book I read, (laughs) I won't reference the book, but in the case of say an NSAID, if you take Tylenol that destroys your gut bacteria and then leads to further inflammation, which further takes you to take Tylenol rather than solving the root problem of, okay, why am I having inflammation? How can I treat that with another modality of some form to get rid of that? So, um, Again, I, think I go it, on a wild tangent. No, no, I, I, it, it makes sense to me. I mean, and, and just because my mind spiders that way too and goes down some different paths. You know what I mean? Because I think it's, the, to a degree, you and I think uh, use the similar like um, uh, root cause analysis process to figure things out. And, and that's a really good approach is the, um, you know, the common ask five, why time five times. Um, and then that's how you get to whatever your root cause is. You know, um, I think in the field of like um, complete health and care and kind of that holistic approach. And when I say holistic, I kind of also mean like your mental, emotional, as well as physiological kind of health is that, but that's the thing is you do need to count on um, experts to, to help you with that. So um, if you're taking Tylenol for something as some kind of like intervention um, and you're noticing that it is um, changing the, the bacteria or something in your digestive tract, that you should see an expert in that because the likelihood that you could figure out all of the different components and variables and factors in that by yourself um, is, is arduous to say the least, but, but probably highly inaccurate relative to being able to talk to an expert and figure out, hey, this is what, I had shoulder pain. So I took this, but it didn't go away. And, and, and this is why. So, so it's not that you can't get a second opinion or question that, but if you rely more on experts who are certified, right? There, these people have certifications and, and governing bodies that say what what they can put out and what they can't, or, or what's believable or whatnot. Um, I, I think that, that that is wildly important, and that people again need to go back to relying on experts, not that they have to stop exploring and stop investigating and stop asking why, but when we start saying that. Um, uh, you know, a feeling or, or an anecdotal something or, or um, disproves what a scientific body is saying, that, that's really not helping as many people. And I think that that is unfortunate in the point that we're at. 
Um, I think that there's a great misnomer in this construct of agreeing to disagree um, because that somehow, and I'm wildly fascinated with fallacies um, because I think that those are some kind of things that we can do subconsciously to trick ourselves into believing um, or doing things that might not be in our best interest or even honor our value, our true values. Um, so so uh, there's sometimes where people just have to say, I'm wrong or I, or more, more importantly, instead of wrong, I don't know, or I don't know enough. Wow, maybe that's even the most important is, I don't know enough to have a position. You know what I mean? This is what I know so yeah. far, but it's not enough to, to, to make uh, a position about it. So I don't know, it's something to think about. Well, yeah, and that's, I think that's a great case where you can say, hey, I think this, but I know absolutely nothing that supports it. And it's a pure opinion. Um, there were two things I wanted to ask you. So one, how do you define expert? Because I given the way we've spoken yep. during this conversation, I do think we have different definitions of that. Yep. And two, um, to sort of get off the COVID train a little bit, I would yep. be all for diving into some of that um, mental, spiritual, emotional, that yep. health side, if, if you want to dive yep. into that. Um, yep. But let's, let's start with the expert definition. Yeah. So, so I, I think that it depends. So I'm almost going to say that for every answer. It and that's okay. So there, there are a couple of different ways to define that. One, there are clearly certifications and governing bodies that, that you have to test out of. Um, at one point, I was a nursing home administrator, and you have to take a national, federal, and state tests to be board certified to run a nursing home. Um, and, and I think to a degree that that qualifies you to a level of expertise that you can engage that. But it is a practice somewhat like medicine or the law that you're never done learning and being, you know, educated and developing yourself into an expert because clearly um, someone who gains that expertise um, enough to start the practice has a different level of expertise than, than someone who is about to retire or, you know, those people who are just exceptional within the field or sports, you know, um, Tom Brady, the greatest football player of all time. Uh, <laughs> um, I think the other way in that, that book, The Death of Expertise, really also outlines um, what uh, an expert would be. And I think at a high level, a lot of it has to do with um, does your um, subject matter uh, group refer to you as an expert or use someone that they, that, that the community or the world turns to for expert advice. Think about Stephen Hawking's as far as cosmology and things like that. Like he, if he was still putting out those papers without his PhD, people would still have a reference for his knowledge uh, of field because he, he seems to know what he's talking about and it, it hasn't been refuted to the point that he is no longer an expert. So people do say, you know, if, if your work is being cited, if peer reviewed uh, publications are putting out your information, that's a pretty good indicator that, that you're an expert. Caveat, um, just a degree or a title um, does not mean that, that you're an expert. So I did get in the case of being in a nursing home uh, administrator, um, I did uh, get those certifications and I did the job and there were cer certain aspects I was um, better at than others. I, I don't know that I would have in that regard considered myself an expert and I don't even know that I did like a very good job. And I think that people have to be able to say that, that, um, that, that they're not an expert, even though they have a title. So that, that would be my response as to what uh, an expert is. Fair enough. And on my end, the way I define an expert, I look at someone's 
body of work. So from a health perspective, I define an expert as someone who's healthy, someone who's had longevity in their life in many ways that I almost look more at populations of people as opposed to someone who, well, I worked 30 years in immunology as a degree, as an example. I mean, I think Stephen Hawking, that's a great example. Albert Einstein, in many ways, my personal belief, well, I shouldn't even say belief. Uh, my, my stance on science is that in many ways as humans, you know, if you look back, we didn't know what we didn't know until we, till we knew it. In many ways we've had, we've had things that were, you know, like gravity. Uh, I think it's what 8.9 or 9.2 meters per second squared is the acceleration of an object on earth. Um, it's things like that, that that's sort of irrefutable from a fact perspective. And then a lot of other things it's, well, we think we know this much to this point at this point in time. And then 10 years later, we may know something totally different. And, you know, thinking of semiconductors and microchips, I, I built a custom PC on my last day off last week, which was, if you've never built a computer from scratch for anyone, I highly recommend it. It's like putting Legos together it's like returning to play as a child. I ordered it a few months ago and opened up the motherboard and got so um, intimidated by the directions that I put it in the closet and let it wait. But uh, one of the coolest things I've ever done, it makes no sense to me how we used to be as humans living in caves a couple hundred years ago or a couple thousand. And now we can put together these pieces of metal and with ones and zeros behind the scene, display something on a screen. It makes absolutely no sense. It's like magic. It's the <laughs> coolest thing. Humans are awesome. Um, but, you know, 500 years ago, who would have ever dreamt that something like that would even be possible, that we would be able right. to refine tools such that we could get there? So from an expert perspective, I got off topic again, but I, I really try to take that knowledge from, it's not necessarily a doctor, because I think in many ways, doctors are often trained. I think doctors are fantastic. I, I actually looked at becoming a doctor when I was younger and then I decided, um, I don't know if I want to go to school that long. I wanted to start life sooner and have an impact on the world in a different way. Um, and I've, I've heard stories, whether it be surgical, in many ways as a doctor, you could get biased where if, if you have a device that you're trying to get FDA approved, you want to, you know, put that in a person, or you may have a treatment that was FDA approved that you want to prescribe that to someone. And I think patients to some degree, you know, you as a human, you know yourself pretty well based on feel and how something's working that I think some self-advocacy is important. I'm not saying you may know more than a doctor when it comes to medicine, but I think um, from a patient care perspective, it's important. And maybe this will transition well to the, the mental and emotional side is you're a team when you're working through that process in many ways to, to, if the goal is to make yourself healthier in the long run. No, I, I would, I would agree that, um, maybe not all doctors, um, uh, are, are, well, and expertise uh, is, is a, let's preface it more by saying a subject matter expert, right? So doctors are highly specialized and just because you're a general practitioner doesn't mean that, you know, you should be conducting surgery, but you definitely know more than what myself or potentially you would know. So I think that um, it is very, very, very important to understand um, the correlation, right? Or, or the relationship between 
the context of the expert, right? So, so yeah. you versus me, you're the expert in baseball. I can concede that straight away, but that doesn't mean you're the only expert, or it doesn't mean that on that spectrum of expertise that I couldn't go talk to someone else um, and have more information about that. I think also to your point about people who like live healthy and, and, and live longer lives as, as someone who potentially might be a health expert is that we have to be careful that um, we don't know all of the externalities or the physiological things because there are things that Stephen, Stephen Hawkins is a prime example of someone who was brilliant, lived a really long life, but had some congenital things, some degenerative things that, that, that impacted his life differently. So, and there's nothing he could have done about that. He couldn't have eaten more fiber to have avoided that. Um, I think your uh, comment about gravity is, is really great because the answer again is it depends. And if you hear a lot of scientists that are talking about gravity right now, they have you know, they are a percentage confident that that is what the uh, impact of gravity is on the earth. But as they go out and the variables change, they're, they're having less confidence and less is known. So again, that's where it is. Uh, there is a space open for, I don't know, or I don't know enough. And I think like with the vaccine, the COVID thing, people are saying, I'm not going to get vaccinated because I know enough. And I disagree with that. I disagree that those people are taking in enough information that they have taken in something that provokes, they've taken in data that provokes a feeling that is confirmation bias and, and, and agrees with what they're saying. Um, and, and so I, I think that that is a shift that we need to come to is to say, hey, I'm only 60% sure about this. I probably need more information and probably from a more dynamic perspective, not just one type of specialist, right? Like an immunologist. Maybe you ask some other people um, that approach it from a different holistic um, perspective and then you formulate your perspective and your opinion there. But always give yourself the space to change your mind, have your position evolve because really uh, it, it depends. So well, I think-, and I think the the point you just made about people who aren't vaccinated, I think many people, um, many people who are sort of fall in that same boat where, you know, the reason for getting vaccinated, obviously there's a clear reason because, because I got this information. And I think part of the hesitancy when it comes to the, and I keep coming back to COVID, I'm sorry about that. With that mRNA delivery mechanism, it's, yeah. it's early utility and right just given and it's a part of it is you know i don't have kids i don't have a family i'm pretty early in life i hope um given where i plan to end up on the longevity scale Uh, (laughs) in that you know i with the flu vaccines with a lot of these other vaccines we have a lot more data to say okay you know the percentage of things that could go wrong and i know we could dispute how many things go wrong I, i don't know that that's clear it, it may be less than people who are unvaccinated claim, and that's totally okay. But for instance, you know, with the myocarditis, that, that's a legitimate concern, I think, to say, hey, maybe we should take a while just to see how does that play out. Um, but you made another comment. I need to start taking notes while you talk. Oh, I wanted to ask you, so... So with, with gravity, so I know I said that was an irrefutable fact, or at least, you know, it's been in textbooks for however long. 
on earth, what are they finding that's different? I guess I haven't, I haven't Googled get uh, gravity in that context in a long time. I was more just curious on that specific, what yep. you heard. No, no. I, um, and, and I think that it is uh, the discovery of black holes and it's not what they're finding here. It's what they're finding other places. And I think that that is what science does is it say, oh, this is different over here. Now we yeah. have to look back. Is it different here now? And, and, and really uh, two points I would make is the materiality for conflicting information. How material is it? And, and that is not for uh, necessarily an individual just to know. So when you're talking about this issue with the heart for, for having the vaccine, I, I mean, I would need to speak to a physician to know or, or some kind of expert, a PhD, um, to, to know how material is it? Because clearly there, there, is, there is not one decision you're going to make today or the rest of your life that doesn't involve an opportunity cost. It is just not right. And so um, there's no way you can know everything. So we don't have to frame it that way that you can be an expert in all of the different variables that go into um, sustaining your life, right? But you can talk about things that are material. And I, I use that word a lot, even vocationally, right? Because that's what I care about. I don't care as much about the outlying, what if, you know, what, what if this makes me run faster? Like that's not like the vaccine's probably not going to make me run faster. So I don't worry about getting it for, for that reason. And, and so I think that people need to better understand materiality um, and, and, and what, what is likely instead of what outlying thing might be. Uh, and that helps people, I think, have less fear animosity about some of the decisions that are making. Um, I, I would say this does transition pretty well into faith um, because um, I, I've just read too many things of people posting what they feel um, um, about their faith um, or their faith-based decision not to get vaccinated, um, that God created them a way to, to um almost be impervious to this. And, and that's, that's not reality. We do know that good people of faith, just good people get cancer, die early, some of those things that, that aren't preventative. So, so, so the power of faith alone isn't enough to prevent some of these natural things from happening. Um, and there are, especially without some of the interventions that are available. Um, science, especially though, again, leaves itself open to change its position, but based on not just new evidence, but better evidence. And so that's the idea is that qualitatively and, and materiality are important, but, but the idea, and, I, and I, again, I, I think you and I have agreed, we're not gonna try to politi politicize anything but the, or much as, as much as we can, but the idea of holding out something like an Alex Jones from Infowars versus what the CDC says, those are not equivalent at all. They, they're just not, they're, they're not even remotely equivalent. And I've, I say that with a 99% confidence level that they aren't. Now, that's not that, that you couldn't be closer on that spectrum um, and, and still disagree. You probably could, but the claims being made by the CDC and Alex Jones, like one is an expert and one, is much, much, much less of an expert. So that's that's what I would put out. And, and it, it should correlate, right? You should doubt as much, uh, th that, that percentage of doubt should correlate to that expertise. So I have zero doubt 
0.0001 percentage doubt for what anything Alex Jones was saying versus I'm probably 70, 80, I'd say even 80 or 85% confident in what the CDC is putting out as an example. Yeah. And, and I'll admit, I think I have more doubt placed on the CDC, the WHO. I think um, there is there is a level of bias that appears there, um, in my opinion. But yep. and, and, that's, that's, and that's, yeah. Well, doubt I think, is great, but you have to ask yourself, again, root cause analysis, why do you doubt it? And I would, I would imagine, I don't know, but I would imagine that there is a feeling that drives that more so than actual evidence. I don't know that you have in, in other people, and, and if you have, please let me know, but I don't know that you've gone through and said, here's the CDC's body of work, as you referenced, looking at someone's body of work, how much of it was accurate, how much of it was positively um, integral to the, the promotion of life versus how many times were they wrong? It doesn't mean that they might have a different agenda than you because they do clearly yeah. or, or that they could be wrong, but they're probably contextually speaking less wrong than you or I less wrong. Yeah. And I, I think, and it may just come back partially to the fact that, you know, we're in this, we're in the state of science is changing around COVID and personally there's, you know, there's been so much change and somewhat lack of continuity until, until some certain thing that we, you know, we flipped back and initially in the pandemic, it was masks don't work referencing Fauci too. Well, masks work. Now you should wear two masks. Uh, we've had, we've had a variety of guidance that for me, and again, I know I'm, I'm really not pulling data. I'll have to pull data for it to help support my argument from a, from a source. We maybe agree and take a deeper look at the CDC. But for instance, um, and I, this is a broader scale of sciences. I, there is money involved in science. There's human involved in science. So there is a level of bias. I'm not saying, you know, I attribute 0% relevancy to the CDC. I'm just saying when the CDC says something, I don't necessarily take it as um, yeah, my gospel. Right, right. Um, same with Alex Jones. I think I probably attribute <laughs> more, um, you know, some of the things he said, they sort of manifest themselves eventually, but he also says some, some very out there things that I, you know, in a perfect world, it would be nice to assume they aren't true. And I think that's the way most of us, most of us live. Um, so maybe I, I assign, know. you know, 20%. That's and, and, yeah. And, and I would argue that and in that point that, that there are a lot of people making the argument is they don't know what is in the vaccine or all the uh, side effects but i can i can guarantee you that if you took a cross-section of his supplements and then and these people that taken them willingly can't go through and describe all of the uh information or all of the products that make up his products and what the side effects are you know and I, mean? I, I wasn't i wasn't referencing his guidance on the vaccine no no i just meant as an example of Th those are just examples, you know what I mean? Not, I don't, I'm not trying to necessarily bash him per, per se. I think he's an entertainer and he will admit he's an entertainer and not a yeah, well, factual and that's, He didn't, and that's, it, I believe. That, that comes back to social media too, though. In order to get a following in many ways, you have to be clickbaity. You have to have headlines to some degree. And sad. I mean, and that's, you know, you're going to put out information, how many people, you know, you could go on Twitter. And so, so I'm, 
I like investing. I like the stock market. I think that's fun. And you could go on there. There's people who've been calling for a stock market crash for the last six months, every single week. You know, it's you put out content and then, you know, if you're an Alex Jones type, you're going to put out enough content that at at some point something's going to come true that you said, just because, you know, that's the way the world goes. So that's probably where I'm attributing some of that. But um, yeah, from that health guidance perspective, again, I think we as, you know, we do ourselves a disservice if we only say that, you know, experts know all, because I think to some degree, and not to get into politics, but we attribute that to politicians. You know, we have, if we want to dive into the economic side of things, you know, we were talking about a Tesla and trying to weigh opportunity cost versus, well, you know, there's some things I need to take care of at home. Like that, that's a, I think a smart financial values-based budget decision. And in the U S government, we have politicians that just spend money and we're just running up this deficit that in the context of how any normal human being or country should handle their, uh, budget it makes no sense it's not it's also not feasible despite what a modern monetary theory might say yeah so i don't i don't know that i would hold out many politicians there there are a subset of them that are but i don't know that i would hold them out as uh, as experts um or um experts in something other than legislation right that's yeah. their core competency is legislation um it is not morals or or it is not you know, society necessarily. It's, legisl- it's legislation, how to pass or prevent legislation from being passed. Um, and, and I would say that um, a, a, a proxy system like that, absolutely needed. There is zero way that you or I in our lifetime could comprehend what is needed to provide the national healthcare needs for the United, just the United States and something else right so that's the, that's one thing about expertise is that it is unlikely that you are uh, an expert in many many different avenues and so that's why you need a proxy a proxy or something like that the other thing i would say and i don't know if this is a generational thing but i'd like your your thoughts on it is is like your willingness to investigate um uh, like what the cdc says and what you know maybe people who refute some of their findings are um and i think in the context we were talking it was relative to wearing a mask but but would you just simply go to two local practitioners two doctors go to one at say um you know one of the larger hospitals maybe in your area and then a private practice one and ask them both something just straightforward um do masks offer more good than bad something something super you know low level like that and see if they refute what whatever the cdc says because you're always again going to find someone um that 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 is going to i I think you with what i've seen and i haven't obviously been exhaustive but a lot of the people refuting the things about vaccine are like chiropractors so they're doctors but they're not doctors Right. And so so um, having an adjustment from a chiropractor is is wonderful when you need it, but they're not immunologists. Right. And, and so so that's something to consider when we're looking at who is refuting this and what do not just the community of immunologists says, say, what does a local immunologist say? I'm sure you have one in your area. Right. Well, and I think that's important, too, is to provide a subset 
of the immunologist. I want to go back to the politician thing. That sure. comment, I think you framed it well. I think it's important just for anyone to say, okay, they're an elected elected official who's a who's meant to be a representative of a certain area, a certain population. It's not to say that what they say makes them an expert. It's they are meant to be a representative of the needs, desires, wants, et cetera, of that subpopulation that they represent. Sure. That I think is important. And then within that, you know, those individuals may likely have expertise in a certain area. They as a result, you know, develop, they have and develop that yeah. expertise as they go along and they're part of a committee, they chair a committee. Um, I will say one thing I have just been wildly fascinated is when people debate candidates based on their ability to um, energize the base or something like that. And I can tell you right now, the, the greatest example was like um, someone correlating which president you should pick to your accountant or your dentist. Like, I don't need, I, if I were to go to an accountant, I don't need them to make me feel jazzed about something. I need them to be able to function within the gap accounting rules to, you know, mitigate or, or accomplish my goals within the accounting realm. And that's it. I don't need them to be flashy dressers. A certain amount of business acumen and professionality is, is, is required. But I definitely, by the president of the United States, I do not need to be energized or I guess a little bit of motivation, but, but that's like 10% of what their, their, their if ability they, is. If they do a good job on behalf of the American people, that should be energizing yeah. enough for the American, American people. It's, it's, Politics, I mean, it's become an influencer race, though. And it's, yeah. again, it's a social media thing because you need people to show up and vote. So you need to be in the headlines. You need them to see your name, think that they're going to represent your interests. It's much different than the only way you're going to hear about a candidate is on the five o'clock news on one of the three channels or when they come to your town or reading it in, in the newspaper. It's, it's, uh, it's a much different dynamic we live in now. Yeah, I think that there, that much of society would benefit from revisiting what these professionals or experts should be contributing or what their responsibility to you actually is. Um, and, and just saying what you feel or saying it how it is um, isn't necessarily the same or valuable even skill set as say like understanding, um, you know, domestic or international policy. You know what I mean? That's maybe a little well, bit more. And I think, and this kind of comes back to the stock market thing. For instance, I don't know if you ever saw this, but there were a bunch of Fed chairs who throughout the last year, year and a half, they've been essentially insider trading yep. the that stock market. It's, it's situations like that where these, these leaders of our country, these leaders of institutions um, don't play by, they don't ascribe to the same rules. And it, it's unfortunate to me as just, you know, your average citizen who if, if I somehow had a financial job and insider traded $10,000 worth of stock, sure. the SEC would bar me from working in finance. I, you know, I might go to jail for some time. I'd be paying a fine. And these guys, you know, for instance, well, I need to retire for health reasons. The, this probably speaks to a broader concept of just accountability in America. Sure. Um, but I, again, another tangent. No, um, and I think that that would maybe even be a, um, a great, second 
or next down the road very soon type of subject matter is to um, kind of delve into what America is, what Americanism is, because I would I would argue that, um, and it has a lot to do uh, or an impact on like COVID, healthcare, all of that is, is the, the caste system, the us versus them. I think that's a very um, unique way that America processes the us versus them. Um, and in what, in um, what context? Us versus um, them. I, I, I think it's, it's, and broadly speaking, it is um, those who have and, and those who are purported to be coming for your what you have, right? So you can say your guns, you can say your liberty, your faith, anything like that. There's really the construct of you have something that somebody else is trying to take from you. And it's, it's expressed in some kind of um, identity, but power distance, right? If they take this from you, they're going to take who you are innately, or they're going to take your power away to, uh, and, and that's another overarching tenet is the idea of liberty. And it's not absolute liberty, but there is, is liberty as well. Um, and I think American, the, what I would consider the fallacy or um, gross nature of American exceptionalism, all of those things really play a part in how we interact with not only this virus, um, but, but um, how we just interact with the rest of the world and people, even in the United States, you know what I mean? So I, I think that that is a good discussion to have because I think um, America, like as, as an example, there's some people that want faith-based teachings in school, prayer, things like that, um, but don't want critical race theory taught. Um, and, and again, it's easy to pick those up. And I think you and I will continue to describe some things that are polarizing without trying to polarize them, but, but they just, those subjects are easy to comprehend. Right, people can easily grasp those to then continue the conversation. But, but that that's a great example of of wanting to um, include something that that um, is someone's version of truth. And if you don't, then you're you're somehow taking power from them, taking their self away, but not teaching this other thing because it's somehow inherently bad um, and, and potentially negating facts. Now, uh, we clearly haven't discussed this subject matter, so we don't have points to make about that, but you could see the, 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 the same way for sports in say school, high school, something like that, like how much money and resources are dumped into you know, those programs versus the chess club or, or something like that. But, but I, I hope that that concept can be kind of delved into. Well, and I, I, think, I think the thing that's lost, whether or not it's God in schools, because obviously I understand for some people that just isn't relevant. Um, I think the common ground, or I hope the common ground for most people is, okay, what, what values do we share? from a moral ethical basis that we actually want to instill in a generation of youth that yeah. we teach them. I don't with, I think the intent with that originally, you know, there is, there is a subset of values in Christianity that whether or not that's shared across, I think it, there are aspects that are shared across other religions and sure. can be extrapolated to a more secular atheist viewpoint that what what are those values and how do we incorporate that without necessarily saying it's God or it's this religious belief if that's really not reflective of your family or child situation? 
I think that that could do a lot of good for the world in and of itself, just in how we interact with one another. Otherwise it does become that us versus them. You know, if you don't have the value of, okay, I do have a service to other people to not do them harm in some way. It's not just my world and they're living in it. Well, that's absolutely the premise of why we're having these conversations right now, right? Is to um, understand what your values are and what you believe in and, and then how you live those out in your life and, and hopefully coming to the truest point that, that you can realize within your lifespan, right? Because, you know, I, I would often argue um, not just say, um, say Christianity versus the Islam faith, um, that, that, uh, or the Islamic faith, um, it, like po- putting those against each other. I, I would much rather delve into Western Christianity versus how Christianity is, is practiced throughout the rest of the country, or the, I'm sorry, the rest of the world, because I think that there is a dichotomy there between those that, that, that's pretty different. So, so the idea is trying to investigate, formulate a thesis, right? This is what I believe in. And, and then hopefully come to a posit that yields what your values are, right? This is what I think is going to happen. And my intention for this effort, I gathered a whole bunch of evidence and, and um, resources that are qualitatively meaningful and valuable. Um, and, and this is what I say is the truth for me after going through that process. And then leaving yourself that space to to refine that as um, other areas present themselves. I mean, gravity is the great example, right? Uh, They're finding that gravity reacts differently in um, black holes. So that maybe makes you reevaluate how you um, how you would look at gravity on Earth. You could do that with global finances and something happened versus now the, the finances in the United States and then your own personal finances. No, I totally agree. And I want to be clear. I did understand that gravity works differently in different places and yeah, yeah, yeah. the speeds are different <laughs> yeah. on different planets. If anyone's listening to this, like this guy didn't know that about gravity. That, like, <laughs> no, I did. I did understand. And I think I want to say too, at any point when, I reference and I, I attribute the same to you, I assume, Matt, but don't let me put words in your mouth. If, if when we reference our Christianity, by no means is it grouping us in a bucket that says, you know, Christianity versus any other religion, any other religion is bad. It's not that Americanism, it's, I think that's socially irresponsible. You sure. know, in many ways, a lot of religions share a lot of same beliefs with unique Absolutely. stories attached to those, um, which in many ways have to do with the areas in which they originated and yeah, are I, mean, all I mean the torah with... the, the the torah is is held within you know the jewish faith the christian faith and the islamic faith uh, th- those are all referenced and reverenced as a uh, as a holy book and and books to be learned from they're, they're the same thing right and i think in in your uh, reference to gravity you did say on earth and i think like just to be explicit that <laughs> You know, when you and I are going back and forth and talking, we already agree that neither one is an idiot, just two guys who know a little <laughs> bit about something, but willing to learn about other things, right? And, and talk about it. Yeah. Them. Well, and maybe this is a good time to, I don't, I don't know what your thoughts are if we want to uh, extend an invite to listeners who may want to participate at any time, or if we want to, uh, we, we haven't really discussed that. I'm framing this within the context of our episode is if we want to, you know, add a, an uninvolved third party, I guess, ever. Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that uh, my 
I'm open to just about anything for this because I think it's just such a good opportunity. And they think that we're both have framed it as, hey, we'll learn from whatever we're doing. If something works, great, we'll keep doing it. If something doesn't work, then we'll stop doing that. Um, and that it should evolve um, that way, you know, from, from experience. Um, I, I, I would be happy to have other people. And the, I, my, my one caveat to that is just that um, who, whoever would be invited or, or contribute would actually have like an interest in the subject matter um, and then kind of adhere to what your, our social contract is, is you can have a different, different you know, view or opinion or whatever, but we're probably gonna ask you to back it up with at least something semi-credible that you've read besides a meme or Facebook um, and, and that you not be disparaging to other people or beliefs because even though I think you and I know that there are some beliefs we each have where we feel um, people who don't believe like us might be wrong, we don't need to disparage those people. We don't need to go bash those people, right? Uh, conservative and liberal is this, the, the same thing. If people don't believe the same way we do, we don't need to go out and bash them. I, I just don't well, do that. And at the end of the day, when we end this conversation, I think we've done a great job of that. And it's yeah. the, you made a comment earlier, and I think this is something everyone should keep in mind is not trying to play gotcha. Yeah. If you, it, a lot of this, and for me, I think sitting here, this is a difference from our first conversation for the sake of our audio recording yeah. is to just sit and listen. Yeah. Also just gives you time to temper down if there is a strong emotional reaction. Personally, I don't feel like I had any strong emotional reactions necessarily no, no, to anything no, no. you said. No. Um, but it's that thought on your brain that, okay, I'm not going to play gotcha. I, I actively thought about that during this. And right. there were times where I was like, yeah, I could say something, but you know, does it, does it gain something? Because often the gotcha instances on either side, we're pulling a, a single use case. Right. It's not it's not typically the broad. It's something that is on the edge of an extreme. I do. I do believe, for instance, the myocarditis, there is there is a higher incidence of it. Again, right. it's still lower in the grand scheme of things, but right. it's, it's not negligible. Um, and I think so. We are we're nearing end. Um, how do you want to how do you want to wrap this up? Well, the last thing that I want to say that I would like to incorporate as as we go through is I like how you referenced having other meaningful conversations. Um, and I, I think that like when we can sprinkle those in and those occur that we should reference those, you know, keeping uh, people's anonymity as much as possible, um, you know, because they didn't clearly, uh, you know, say that they, they didn't, they didn't reference. consent to sharing yeah, yeah, that yeah, information. Yeah. So, so, um, so, yeah, I think that that is important as well is because I think that um, we're, we're both hoping to have better conversations as well as be better informed as is like an outcome of this. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think that the way we just wrap this up is more about a time constraint than anything else. Cause I'm sure you and I could just go on forever and ever and ever. Um, but, but we'll, we'll text back and forth to, um, kind of identify what the next subject matter is and, and how often we want to kind of intervene here and, um, and, and then just turn it on and let it roll. Cause it's, it's clearly going to happen. Yeah, no doubt. So uh, to everyone listening, whoever that may be, uh, go out there and ignore the noise. 